Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877 Well, ladies and gentlemen, the January 6th committee has been dropping a centipede full of shoes, wouldn't you say? Everywhere. All over the place. It's been unbelievable. We still don't have a single sentence, a single text, a single email, a single record of any kind, nothing, a single video of a single deposition, nothing, we have nothing that ties the President of the United States to fomenting an insurrection, we have nothing, but tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have the 8th Public King prime time. And I'm proud to say Fox will not be covering it live prime time, and I will be on Hannity tonight around 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. But notice how the propaganda has already begun. What, what was Donald Trump doing during the 187 minutes from the time the Capitol was breached the time he released his video. First of all, we don't, we don't know when the clock starts, do we? But why are they using 187 minutes rather than three hours and seven minutes? Because it sounds a long time. Why don't they say, what was Donald Trump doing during 11,220 seconds? What was he doing? It took him 11,220 seconds to release his video, ladies and gentlemen. Dereliction of duty. 
Well, should he have triggered the Insurrection Act? He was told to never trigger the Insurrection Act. No, couldn't do that. He offered the National Guard. Well, they didn't take him up on that. Well, what's the president supposed to do? He even offered to go to Capitol Hill. Remember when he was, as Mr. Producer calls it, choking out the Secret Service driver? Of course, he never was, but just, just play along. He said, take me to the Capitol. No, there's armed people. We can't do that. We can't do that, Mr. President. I told them to call out the National Guard, but they turned you down, Mr. President. I told our folks to, to protest peacefully. But nobody believes you, Mr. President. You waited 11,220 seconds. 11,220 seconds to put out a video. You're in action. There's a dereliction of duty. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we already have a buildup to this hearing by the press. Even some of my colleagues in the press that are so excited about this they already burned their popcorn and the panel has made it clear they're going to show with specially cherry picked video they're going to show Trump supporters and they're going to show the most important and fantastic witnesses in the history of witness number and you better not question them or you're obviously part of the proud boys or the oath keepers or some white supremacist group yet to be disclosed what the hell's going on here exactly what i said the 14th amendment to the constitution oh yes insurrection the word is actually in Section 3, insurrection. Trump led an insurrection. Now we have Merritt Garland, a.k.a. Meritless Garland, in a press conference today. Of course he did. Excuse me, yesterday. And he was asked about January 6th, and he made it abundantly clear. He will not tolerate lawlessness. Unless, of course, it's the Biden family. Cut nine, go. No person is above the law in this country. Nothing stops us. No, I don't know how to, maybe I'll say that again. No person is above the law in this country. I can't say it any more clearly than that. There is nothing in the principles of prosecution and any other factors which prevent us from investigating anyone, anyone who's criminally responsible uh, for, for uh, uh, an attempt to undo a democratic election. Oh, I see. So he's already made a conclusion. You can investigate anyone, including anyone who's criminally responsible. That is an affirmative assertion for an attempt to undo a democratic election. It's amazing. But we do also know, of course, ladies and gentlemen, that Joe Biden apparently is immune from investigation. He hasn't been investigated yet. Cut 10, go! We do not do our investigations in public. This is the most wide-ranging investigation and, and, and the most important investigation that the Justice Department has ever entered into. 
and we have done so because this this effort to uh, upend a legitimate election, uh, transferring power from one administration to another, cuts at the fundamental uh, of American democracy. We have to get this right. All right, so and ladies and gentlemen, I think this portends. If there's any way they can do it, this portends charges. You heard what he said. We don't do it in public, and then he makes this fairly heavy-duty public statement. It's the most wide-ranging investigation, the most important investigation the Justice Department has ever entered into, really? How about the assassination of John Kennedy? Shouldn't that have been the most widely conducted investigation in the department history? I'm just, just a couple of examples. How about efforts to blow up the Capitol building and the Pentagon? Right? The 1960s and 70s by radical groups associated with close, close, dear friends of Barack Obama. Shouldn't that have been the most wide-ranging investigation? How about the shooting up of the Capitol? Literally shooting members of the House of Representatives in the 1950s by a Puerto Rican terrorist separatist group. That seems to me that should have been an awfully wide-ranging investigation. No? I don't know, Merrick. Meritless Garland. What about the investigation of Russia collusion that was used to try and bring down a president and even triggered a criminal investigation, a special counsel? Shouldn't that have been part of the most wide-ranging investigation in the history of the Justice Department? No, ladies and gentlemen, this is the most important investigation in history. So important that Nancy Pelosi has picked nine slugs to do her bidding. So important that the Republicans, the real Republicans, don't have a seat on this committee. So important that they're using Stalinist tactics. Not our traditional system of justice. Even for the House. No, 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 no. We can't have a legitimate congressional investigation and we can't have a legitimate U.S. attorney investigation. We have to get this right, which means we've got to get Trump by hook or by crook. My God, we tried for five years, you know. We leaked on the guy. We used the FBI against the guy. We used the FISA court against the guy. We used our intel agencies against the guy. We used major blue-chip Washington law firms against the guy. We put a phony dossier together against the guy. We tied him to the Russians. We had two impeachments against the guy. Even after he left office, we had a two-year criminal investigation against the guy. And now that he's out of office, we're still focused on the guy. 187 minutes, a.k.a. 11,220 seconds. What did Trump do? Now let me ask you a question. If Donald Trump was leading an insurrection, why would he have put out that video at all, Mr. Producer? 187 minutes, 11,220 seconds, three hours and seven minutes. What's the difference? 
would he put out a different kind of video? Encouraging more people to attack the Capitol building? From all over the country? Wouldn't he have announced that there's an insurrection underway? Please join us? Wouldn't he have said that? Wouldn't he have said everybody who is armed within the sound of my voice, who believes in this insurrection, please join us? Join us now as quickly as possible? Wouldn't he have given some contrary orders to the United States military? Rather than protecting the Capitol building, as he suggested two days earlier, wouldn't he tell them to surround it and arrest his vice president and arrest members of Congress? Wouldn't he do that? That's what a real insurrection would look like. That's what a real insurrection would look like. But don't worry. Meritless Garland's on the job. U.S. Attorney Graves. Dizzy. Lizzie, self-important Cheney, head case Kingsinger, and Pelosi behind the scenes work in the room. I'll be right back. Lovin. Folks, would you turn down millions of dollars a year? All you'd have to do is surrender your independence and abandon your principles for the money. That's a devil's bargain. Sadly, it's one that almost all American colleges and universities make. But there's one college in America saying no. My favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College refuses to accept one penny of taxpayer money, not even indirectly in the form of federal student grants and loans. By saying no to government money, Hillsdale remains genuinely independent, free from corrupting federal mandates, and most importantly, free to pursue its original 1844 mission, pursuing truth and defending liberty. In addition, over 3 million citizens have enrolled in Hillsdale's free online courses. And over 6 million American households, including mine, receive Hillsdale's free monthly publication in Primus. You can learn more about Hillsdale's independence from government, its mission of defending liberty, and its national outreach programs at levinforhillsdale.com. Remember Andrew Weissman. Weissman. He really ran the uh, Mueller operation. He's a putz, of course, and he's a vicious little snot. Vicious little snot. And for years, he was a federal prosecutor on the federal payroll, destroying lives, destroying institutions as much as he could. You have to imagine that when this punk was in junior high, or we call it middle school now, or when he was in high school, he frequently must have gotten his ass kicked because... He is on a revenge against society. And he posts the following, posts the following. DOJ next steps, number one, prosecute and flip Clark, Eastman, and Meadows. Clark is the former official justice. Eastman, of course, was the lawyer for Trump. And Meadows was the chief of staff. Prosecute and flip Clark, Eastman, and Meadows. Prosecute and flip them for what? Doesn't matter. See, this is his technique. It's very Third Reich-like. Weissman! Very Third Reich-like. Just throw some books at these guys, use these very ambiguous laws, threaten to put them in prison for 20 or 30 years, and make them say things that they would not otherwise say. 
Number two, if you can't make a criminal case on them, immunize them and force them to testify in the grand jury. See? This guy would have been fantastic. I think he would have been on the wrong side of the Nuremberg trials, but would have been fantastic in some fascistic or Marxist regime. Because that's where his head is. In addition to another place. And there's a long piece, excellent piece in Just the News. Former Mueller prosecutor injects himself in the January 6th probe despite checkered career. That would be Weissman! One of the lead prosecutors in the Trump-Russia investigation is now playing armchair attorney general. Another highly contentious politicized probe, despite a checkered history of overturned convictions and accusations of misconduct. This time it's the Justice Department's prosecution targeting those involved in the January 6th Capitol riot. Andrew Weissman, 64, pen and op-ed for the New York Slimes, sat down for an interview with Politico. Oh, wow in which he criticized the Justice Department for adopting a bottom-up criminal investigation, bottom-up, middle-out, by focusing primarily on the January 6th protesters rather than former President Trump and his top allies. So this guy has a mentally deranged obsession. Mentally deranged. He says, a myopic focus on the January 6th riot is not the way to proceed if you're trying to follow the facts where they lead and to hold people at any level criminally accountable, as Attorney General Merrick Garland promised. Weissman argued that House Democrats Committee investigating January 6th has presented evidence at a series of recent hearings that should transform the Justice Department's probe. I've said it over and over and over again. This is a front operation violating the Constitution's separation of powers and the Bill of Rights by this committee because it has 11 former federal prosecutors who are conducting themselves in concert with the prosecutors at the Department of Injustice. And several of the people on the committee, Adam Schiff, Jamie Raskin, two Reds, they know it, and that's what they're involved in. That's why early on they talked about the criminality of Trump, the criminality of Trump. You're supposed to be conducting an investigation. And this entire process is poison. Weissman argued House Democrats Committee investigating January 6th has presented a series of recent hearings that transform the probe. Oh, really? And what would the criminal charges be? Says the evidence gathered in the hearings (laughs) describes a multi-pronged conspiracy where prosecutors term a hub and spoke conspiracy in which the ellipse speech by President Trump in January 6th Attack on the Capitol with just one spoke of a grander scheme. More when I return. Folks, would you turn down millions of dollars a year? All you'd have to do is surrender your independence and abandon your principles for the money. That's a devil's bargain. Sadly, it's one that almost all American colleges and universities make. But there's one college in America saying no. My favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College refuses to accept one penny of taxpayer money, not even indirectly in the form of federal student grants and loans, by saying no to government money. Hillsdale remains genuinely independent, free from corrupting federal mandates, and most importantly, free to pursue its original 1844 mission, pursuing truth and defending liberty. In addition, over 3 million citizens have enrolled in Hillsdale's free online courses. 
and over 6 million American households, including mine, receive Hillsdale's free monthly publication in Primus. You can learn more about Hillsdale's independence from government, its mission of defending liberty, and its national outreach programs at levinforhillsdale.com. When Mark Levin speaks, the backbenchers take notes. Call in now, 877-381-3811. By the way, America, we have an update on Sarah Rump over at Mediate a little later in the program. Mr. Producer, she seems obsessed with me. Do you think she's infatuated with me? I think she's listening to my every syllable. I accused her of being 12 years old. She says, no, 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 I'm a lawyer. Okay, you can be a lawyer with the mind of a 12-year-old. But we'll have to revisit this later. What is this obsession with 187 minutes? I keep asking myself. Robert, Evansville, Indiana, XM Satellite. He has the answer. Robert, a trucker friend. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, and I am a truck driver. Yes, sir. And uh, I do have the answer. All you have to do is Google search police code 187. 187 is the police code for homicide. It's the police code for homicide. You told Mr. Call Screener. I Googled it. You're exactly right. And it originates from Section 187 of the California Penal Code. And now it's used, actually, in many police jurisdictions throughout the country. We have a 187, which means we have a homicide. Really, really good. Do we have any books left, Mr. Producer? I want to send you a signed book, Robert. That is outstanding. So so even when it comes to the gap, they keep calling it the gap. Trump didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He was busy strangling a Secret Service agent driving his car, trying to wrestle him for the wheel of the car. My God. And he knew people were armed and he still wanted to go which all this is such crap. But anyway, so what do you think's going on here, Mr. Uh, no, Robert from Evansville, Indiana? Well, I've, I thought, you know, from day one, the, the day of the election, I know exactly what's going on. They stole the election. The uh, fraud is uh, uh, proliferate, and it's obvious. And this January 6th is everything they can do to keep Trump from running again is their their goal but even if they don't keep him from running again they are uh, going to persuade enough people to just continue their uh, their negative impact on his character which began january 15th the very day he came down the elevator and announced and i know because i listened to rachel maddow every day until that day she was covering the detroit the flint water crisis and i was really interested in that story and the day he came down that elevator, she turned into a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you accusing her of transitioning? Excuse me? Mm. Anyway, Robert, good job. Good job. Thank you for your call. Don't hang up. We want to send you a book. Section 187 of the California Penal Code deals with homicide, murder. And a 187 police often, not everywhere, but many places now, I read here, use that as the code used to describe murder. 
over 187, 187. And so 187 minutes. They think they're so clever. Oh, wait till the backbenchers hear about this, Mr. Producer. They'll be slobbering and blubbering all over it. But it's an important point, don't you think? I think it is. We've made a lot of important points here. Where's the one sentence of direct evidence that President Trump ordered any violent attacks of any kind? Period. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, I'm having to spend time on this again because we have prime time coverage. Another shoe is going to drop. No, it's not. We have opinion. We have former employees. We have people who have been canned. We have never Trumpers. We have a whole host of things that prove absolutely nothing. So this is the criminalization of politics. This is the collusion between the legislative branch and the executive branch. This is a desperate desire by the federal Department of Justice bureaucracy to once again try and prevent a Trump candidacy as it did before. But now it has an attorney general, much like the Pink Panther, if you will, but we have an attorney general who is a politically corrupt buffoon, and we have a U.S. attorney who is, in my view, a politically corrupt hitman. Hitman. The evidence gathered in the hearings describes a multi-pronged conspiracy, says Weissman, or prosecutors term a hub-and-spoke conspiracy. Wow, so clever. In which the ellipse speech by President Trump and the January 6th attack on the Capitol were just one spoke of a grander scheme to cause an insurrection by overturning the results of the 2020 election. Wow. Guess they'll have to throw some Republicans in prison too who are prepared to raise questions about some of the some of the voting. The country will be a banana republic if we ignore an illegal coup by a former president, he added on Twitter. Somebody needs to take Andy's keyboard away from him. He's demonstrating his lunacy and insanity. Weissman's public condemnation of the Department of Justice for not being tough enough and going after Trump as part of a more ambitious probe dovetails with his reputation as a smart and tenacious prosecutor who will keep pushing to get results even if that means going too far. In the early 2000s, Weissman helped lead the government's prosecution of Enron. The giant Houston-based energy conglomerate that collapsed in 2001 Amid a massive fraud scandal, the FBI called the case the most complex white-collar crime investigation in its history. Weissman, who ended up heading the Justice Department's Enron Task Force, oversaw dozens of prosecutions on charges of fraud, perjury, obstruction, including against top executives. However, three of the executives, Jeffrey Skilling, Kenneth Lay, and Richard Causey, fought a joint motion to dismiss the criminal charges brought against them, arguing the Enron Task Force engaged in several incidents of prosecutorial misconduct. Not Weissman! No! One of the listed incidents was Weissman writing an allegedly threatening email to compel a witness, Ken Rice, 
not to cooperate with the defendants. Weissman justified his note by arguing he believed Rice's attorney had a conflict of interest by communicating with Skilly's lawyers while representing both other Enron-related defendants and a witness simultaneously. While the court found it wasn't an improper threat, it it said Weissman would have done well to have brought the issue to the court's intention instead of sending the email. So he's threatening lawyers. He's threatening lawyers because he doesn't want them to properly defend their clients. Affidavits unsealed in 2019 revealed multiple lawyers also claimed FBI agents working for the Enron task force overseen by Weissman made veiled threats against their clients to pressure them not to talk to Enron's defense team. There were several additional allegations of witness intimidation by prosecutors. It's okay, the New York Times very excited with the Weissman op-ed. Just as they were very excited with their man in Berlin during the Third Reich, who was sympathetic to Hitler. And their man in Moscow during Stalin's slaughter of the Ukrainians. Very proud of him, and he got a Pulitzer. Under Weissman's leadership, the task force also came under criticism for naming 114 people as unindicted co-conspirators. A tactic defense lawyers charged was used to hold the threat of indictment over many potential witnesses in an effort to block testimony that could have helped the defense. I have never seen defendants in a major public trial, especially a white-collar trial, so completely ostracized by witnesses with pertinent information, said prominent law professor Michael Tegar, who served as an expert witness in the Enron case. This level of silence from witnesses is not normal. Ah, that's our boy, Weissman. Hey, boy, Weissman, you're welcome on this program anytime. Tigar also said he had never seen such unfair pressures brought to bear on the adversary system in a single case. Another controversial aspect of the Enron prosecution concerned the financial firm Merrill Lynch, which worked with Enron. Weissman oversaw the prosecution of four Merrill executives, who went to prison for being part of a scheme to improperly boost Enron's earnings. But the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals later overturned the bulk of the convictions, saying they were flawed, and the government failed to prove the executives were solely seeking personal gain, as the indictment had alleged. Sidney Powell, you'll recall, who represented one of the Merrill execs during this appeal, has said Weissman creatively criminalized a business transaction between Merrill and Enron to score a prosecutorial win. Perhaps even more so than for his prosecution of Enron, Weissman has been criticized for his prosecution of Enron's major outside auditor, Arthur Anderson. Weissman argued the venerable accounting firm covered up financial losses at Enron and shredded documents to hide what it did. (coughs) The firm was convicted of obstructing justice in 2002 and effectively went out of business. About 100,000 people or so lost their jobs. Three years later, the Supreme Court unanimously overturned the conviction, finding that Arthur Anderson didn't have criminal intent and that the federal judge presiding over the trial gave the jury faulty instructions. Weissman had helped persuade the judge to tell the jurors they could find the firm guilty without the government needing to prove it knowingly broke the law. It is striking how little culpability the judge's instructions required. Then a great chief justice, William Rehnquist, wrote in the court's opinion. 
For example, the jury was told by the judge that even if Anderson honestly and sincerely believed that its conduct was lawful, you may find it guilty. And Rehnquist noted, again, unanimous decision, that defense lawyers had vigorously disputed the jury instructions despite the ruling. Arthur Anderson never recovered. Weissman abruptly resigned from the Enron Task Force two months later in 2005, and jury deliberations in another trial involving former Enron executives. At that trial, the government elicited false testimony from Rice based on prosecutors presenting an inaccurate version of a video that was central to the government's case. Two other witnesses also indicated in testimony they felt threatened they might be indicted if they didn't testify on behalf of the Enron defendants. While Weissman's aggressive approach has led both to critics and supporters, it's a prosecutor to be feared. Now he's a slimeball with power. I only can wish this happens to him one day or a member of his family or inner circle so he can see what it's like. And there's a lot more than this, by the way. A lot more. I've only given you about 40% of the article. That's the guy who's now saying that the Department of Justice needs to charge Trump, and here's how you do it. He doesn't compare, care about the rule of law. He doesn't care about the Constitution. And I fear, ladies and gentlemen, that we have a, same, a similar type of head case with such character defects as the U.S. Attorney in Washington, D.C., and numerous subordinates of the Attorney General, the Department of Justice, and the Department of Justice Attorney General himself. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, would you turn down millions of dollars a year? All you'd have to do is surrender your independence and abandon your principles for the money. That's a devil's bargain. Sadly, it's one that almost all American colleges and universities make. But there's one college in America saying no. My favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College refuses to accept one penny of taxpayer money, not even indirectly in the form of federal student grants and loans. By saying no to government money, Hillsdale remains genuinely independent, free from corrupting federal mandates, and most importantly, free to pursue its original 1844 mission, pursuing truth and defending liberty. In addition, over 3 million citizens have enrolled in Hillsdale's free online courses. And over 6 million American households, including mine, receive Hillsdale's free monthly publication in Primus. You can learn more about Hillsdale's independence from government, its mission of defending liberty, and its national outreach programs at levinforhillsdale.com. So he decided to crazy glue a squirrel to his head. Now you may remember Dan, you may have seen him in various police shows, uh, courthouse shows, uh, other shows. But Dan is from a prominent left-wing, legal-centric family. His sister is a liberal federal court judge. I believe his brother, a prosecutor. So he founded Mediaite. And he hides behind this operation of reprobates. And all kinds of individuals. 
And so out of the blue, here we have Alex Griffin. I don't know if that's a male or female. You know, the name Alex can go either way. Uh, And not that there's anything wrong with that, Alex. ADL chief blasts bigot Tucker Carlson and Fox News for platforming white supremacist talking points. Now, the Anti-Defamation League head, his name is Jonathan Greenblatt. Jonathan Greenblatt is a left-wing crackpot who worked for Barack Melhouse Benito Obama in his White House. And uh, Jonathan Greenblatt has embraced critical race theory. He's paid money to some of their advocates. And yet he's supposed to be running an organization that's fighting anti-Semitism rather than promoting it. The head of the anti-defamation, like, and of course, media never mentions anything I just told you, slammed Tucker Carlson and Fox News on Wednesday over Carlson's full-fledged embrace of the great replacement theory on his highly rated show Tuesday night. Because, ladies and gentlemen, what actually is going on is not going on. Don't you understand? Mediaite. Well, let me ask Alex. Let me ask him or her or it. Let me ask you, Alex, why is the border wide open? Why is the border wide open? Why is your president violating immigration laws? Why is your president allowing the kind of sex abuse, molestation, drug trafficking, MS-13? Why is he allowing such individuals to come across the border among the millions of others? Why is that, Alex? You don't answer that. Why? Because you're a putz. Now let's continue. It's getting more difficult to spot the difference between a Tucker Carlson monologue and white supremacist talking points. Don't believe us? Just take a look at what they're saying after last night, wrote Jonathan Greenblatt. So Tucker Carlson is responsible for what somebody says after he says it. This is Jonathan Greenblatt. He's an embarrassment. He's a buffoon. He's pathetic. And I'm not done with him. We'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening. And thank you so much for this sponsorship. Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Tucker Carlson is not a racist. He's not a white supremacist. He never has been. He never will be. He looks at what's taking place at the border and he asks himself, why? Why is the Democrat Party obsessed with an open border? Why are Democrat mayors trying to register illegal aliens as voters? 
Why are illegal aliens free to participate in a growing variety of government-subsidized programs? Why is the Democrat Party, why is Joe Biden allowing all these people to come across the border and not caring about the economic, political, or safety consequences. The job of an elected government is to represent the people who elected them. To represent the people who elected them, not to govern against them. Why didn't they finish the wall? Why aren't they deporting criminals the way they should be deported? Why are they changing the practice of administrative law judges? That is, that people need to show up in court, but instead now are giving individuals snap amnesty, I'll call it, right at the border, because there's too many. Why is it that no other president in modern American history has done what Joe Biden and the Democrat Party are doing? Why are they doing this? I've written about this in Liberty and Tyranny at great length, an entire chapter, just like I have on the environment. But Sarah Rump, who's not 12, she reminds us, she's a lawyer, is too lazy to actually read it, but I'll get to her later. One mediaite trash article first. And so rather than engage Tucker Carlson, they throw the worst kind of smears at him imaginable. And how do they do this? Right Wing Watch shared a telegram post from the white nationalist Vincent James, they write, who the hate, with the hate, who the hate monitor noted is thrilled that Tucker Carlson is using his program to spread their message to millions. James wrote, I love that Tucker Carlson is basically summarizing our somewhat recent viral article about white replacement while doing a segment almost identical to segments I've done for years. Later, not millions we couldn't otherwise reach are instantly now seeing this information for the first time. The ADL notes that James runs a YouTube channel that promotes conspiracy theories, anti-Semitic beliefs. I'm sure the guy's a lowlife. Which is why they use him to smear Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson has no control over what somebody writes after he makes a statement. The fact that this guy, James, uses it for self-promotion is quite beside the point. What about Carlson's point? Why doesn't Greenblatt, Jonathan Greenblatt, answer it? Because Jonathan Greenblatt is a Democrat thug. That's why. Jonathan Greenblatt doesn't know who's coming across the border. He doesn't know how many people have been raped on the border. He doesn't know how many children have been molested on the border. How do I know that? Because I've asked. There's no answers. They're not keeping the data. Jonathan Greenblatt doesn't know how many people have died trying to cross the border or been murdered trying to cross the border by others. 
Jonathan Greenblatt didn't tweet about 110,000 people dying last year from fentanyl, much of which is produced by the communist Chinese and provided to the Mexican drug cartels to bring into this country to kill our youth. It's the number one cause of death among our youth, fentanyl. Jonathan Greenblatt says nothing about any of that. Why is the border open, Mr. Greenblatt, Anti-Defamation League? Boy, were you a lousy selection, you jerk. But that's my question. Why is the border wide open? Alex, why is the border wide open? Alex Griffin of the famous Griffin family. More like grifting, but why is the border wide open? I think this is a perfectly good question. Now, honestly, Tucker Carlson's not the first one to ask this question. A former Democrat governor of Colorado asked this question years ago. Years ago. A former civil rights activist, you may have heard of him, Ralph Abernathy, who was the right hand of Martin Luther King, asked that question way back when. Cesar Chavez, you may have heard of him, the United Farm Workers Union, was a hero. He asked that question. He put together his own little militia to guard the border, to prevent this sort of thing. Dwight Eisenhower literally rounded up one million illegal aliens and had them removed from the country. Were they all white supremacists? Remember Eugene McCarthy? A Democrat, a libertarian, opposed the Vietnam War. He was celebrated often. He ran in 1968 in the Democrat primary to try and defeat LBJ. He would eventually endorse Ronald Reagan in 1980. So disgusted with his hate with the Democrat Party and Jimmy Carter. He said, why is the border open? Undermining our union members. Why? Liberals used to ask this question. Democrats used to ask this question. Liberals used to be opposed to what's taking place today. Democrats used to be opposed to what's taking place today. So if you raise the question, Jonathan Greenblatt, regardless of what somebody says about you, after you raise the question and make the case, doesn't put you in the same category as that person, does it, Johnny? No, it doesn't. For instance, you've embraced critical race theory and individuals who've made a fortune after promoting this kind of Louis Farrakhan racism. So, Johnny Greenblatt, if we call you a Louis Farrakhan-like racist, how does that feel? You like that? Do you like that? Because that's how you sound. You seem to be embracing that ideology. You have a problem with that? 
I don't always agree with Tucker Carlson, especially when it comes to aspects of foreign policy. This has nothing to do with that. You don't take a decent human being who gives an honest opinion, well-considered, well-articulated, and try and destroy his character and destroy his motives with these kinds of allegations. Now, the Anti-Defamation League and Johnny should know that. That's the whole reason his organization exists. It's to fight anti-Semitism. But Johnny Greenblatt, when you're promoting bigotry and racism, you kind of hurt the cause, brother. Actually, you're not my brother. You disgust me. It's getting more difficult to spot the difference between a Tucker Carlson monologue and white supremacist talking points. Really? Then you're a moron. But you ought to at least have the integrity to put under your name former Barack Obama sycophant. You're a disastrous choice for the ADL. Disastrous choice. You create hate and animosity. You don't fight it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, the American public is getting pinched right now. Stupid left-wing policies like shutting down the Keystone Pipeline have you paying way more than you should for gasoline, which also raises the cost of your grocery bills, everything. Hard to depend on government, but one thing you can depend on is Pure Talk, because Pure Talk still gives you talk, text, plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. No price increase there. I've told you before, I'm a customer. The 5G coverage, most reliable network in America, U.S. customer service, keeping jobs right here in America, and the CEO is a U.S. veteran. So stop giving your money away to these behemoth corporatists, Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile, and subsidizing their causes. Switch to my guys, Pure Talk. With Pure Talk's no-risk money-back guarantee, you won't regret this. So go to puretalk.com, select a plan, and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month you can literally be switched over to pure talk service in less than 10 minutes so go to puretalk.com enter promo code levin l-e-v-i-n podcast that's levin podcast so mediaite continues to expose itself as a media matters wannabe uh and it puts some really uh vicious stupid people to work No, I would not call Sarah Rump a vicious, stupid person. I don't know her. All I said is she seemed like a 12-year-old. Her lack of substance in her writing style. She took grave, grave, not even grave, grave offense. She pointed out, I'm a lawyer. And she was upset at my ranting. And she said, of course, that I didn't provide any substantive information in response to her genius. Of course I did. It's right there on the video that she attached. But she's a slow listener. She said, you know, there's four elements. Four elements in uh, greenhouse gases. Really? Who knew, Sarah? I've studied this issue at great length many, many years ago when you were 12 years old. 
Dr. Edward Wegman from page 132 of Liberty and Tyranny. I wrote that book. I thought you should know. A professor at the Center for Computational Statistics at George Mason University, chair of the National Academy of Sciences Committee on Applied Theoretical Statistics, board member of the American Statistical Association, more than just a lawyer, was tasked by a congressional committee to lead a group of experts in examining the hockey stick evidence. Now this evidence, without getting into great detail, you see, Sarah, broadcasting you have limited time. Which is why when you write a stupid essay, you have all the time in the world. This is based on Dr. Michael Mann's hockey stick model. He's a climatologist, University of Massachusetts at the time, which has been disproven. Here's what he said. The assessments that the decade of the 90s was the hottest decade in a millennium and that 1998 was the hottest year in a millennium, cannot be supported. See, every year, ladies and gentlemen, is the hottest year ever. The paucity of data, he wrote, in the more remote past makes the hottest in a millennium claims essentially unverifiable. There is no evidence that Dr. Mann or any of the other authors in paleoclimate studies have had significant interactions with mainstream statisticians. None. Among the most widely cited authorities for man-made global warming, which is what she obsessed over, is an IPCC panel report produced in 2007. A study by the Science and Public Policy Institute states that the IPCC is a single-interest organization whose charter directs it to assume that there is a human influence on climate rather than to consider whether the influence may be negligible. The IPCC's climate science assessment is dominated by a small clique of alarmists who frequently work closely with each other outside the IPOC process. Now about now, Sarah Rump's head is exploding. The IPCC continues to allege that the planet is warming, that the warming is due to an increase in atmospheric carbon dioxide levels, that the increased carbon dioxide levels are due to the banning uh, to the burning of fossil fuels warning of the climate system warming of the climate system is unequivocal as is now evident from observations of increases in global average air and ocean temperatures they say widespread melting of snow and ice rising global average sea levels they say 11 of the last 12 years are among the warmest years in the instrumental record of global surface temperature since 1850. Global atmospheric concentrations of CO2 of methane, that's CH4, and nitrous oxide, I write, N2O, have increased markedly as a result of human activity since 1750 and now far exceed pre-industrial values determined from ice cores spanning many thousands of years. And the report further concludes with very high confidence that the net effect of human activities since 1750 has been one of warming, the Industrial Revolution. The alarmists' methodologies came under severe criticism. For example, the surface stations used throughout the United States to measure temperature are subject to distortion. Many readings are influenced by warming caused by nearby buildings, parking lots, exhaust vents, 
The temperature station in Marysville, California, is surrounded by an asphalt driveway and air conditioning units. Its readings have trended up. The temperature station in Orland, California, has not been affected by outside development. Its readings have trended down. And there are charges that historic CO2 measurements are intentionally chosen to ensure that the data reflect an increase, such as ignoring CO2 measurements from the years 1857 and 1957, which may show higher concentrations of atmospheric CO2 than exist today. All of this is cited to original sources. Sarah Rump hasn't read any of it. Even so, does carbon dioxide actually affect temperature levels? Dr. Nur Sharif, a top astrophysicist and associate professor at Hebrew University, used to think so, but not anymore. You know why, Sarah? He studied it. Like many others, I was personally sure that CO2 is the bad culprit in the story of global warming. But after carefully digging into the evidence, I realized that things are far more complicated than the story told us by many climate scientists or the stories regurgitated by the media. (coughs) Excuse me, cholera. He notes that solar activity can explain a large part of the 20th century global warming, and greenhouse gases are largely irrelevant to the climate. If the amount of CO2 doubled by 2,100, he says, it will not dramatically increase the global temperature. Even if we have the CO2 output and the CO2 increase by 2,100 would be, say, a 50% increase relative today instead of a doubled amount, the expected reduction in the rise of global temperature would be less than 0.5 Celsius. This is not significant. Wow. Geologist Dudley Hughes, pretty famous, by the way. He put it another way at the time. Earth's atmosphere is made up of several major gases. For simplicity, and I've pointed this out before, let us picture a football stadium with 10,000 people in the stands. Assume each person represents a small volume of one type of gas. Carbon dioxide represents only four seats in the 10,000-seat stadium. Goes on and on. Phil Chapman, geophysicist, astronaut, astronautical engineer, first Australian to become a NASA astronaut. Many, many more experts. Literally thousands of experts, Sarah. Thousands. I'll be right back. You know, the American public is getting pinched right now. Stupid left-wing policies like shutting down the Keystone Pipeline have you paying way more than you should for gasoline, which also raises the cost of your grocery bills, everything. Hard to depend on government, but one thing you can depend on is Pure Talk, because Pure Talk still gives you talk, text, plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. No price increase there. I've told you before, I'm a customer. The 5G coverage, most reliable network in America, U.S. customer service, keeping jobs right here in America, and the CEO is a U.S. veteran. So stop giving your money away to these behemoth corporatists, Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile, and subsidizing their causes. Switch to my guys, Pure Talk. With Pure Talk's no-risk money-back guarantee, you won't regret this. So go to puretalk.com, select a plan, and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month you can literally be switched over to pure talk service in less than 10 minutes so go to puretalk.com and a promo code levin l-e-v-i-n podcast that's levin podcast mark levin radio's principal patriot call in now at 877-381-3811 now the question is is carbon dioxide a pollutant 
Sarah Rump points to a website link, and I went to it. Even conservatives say it is. Conservatives say it is. She's pointed to a few former staffers, to a few former Republicans, some of whom are conservatives, a few former representatives themselves, a couple people from the Heritage Foundation, and those are her sources. Wow. Mine are MIT and Oxford. Some of the top physicists. Some of the top meteorologists, climatologists, scientists generally in the world. And she provides a single link in her most recent uh, burpage. I like that word burpage, don't you, Mr. Producer? It works. I want to give a little advice to our friend Sarah Rump. Write about things that you know at least something about. You're going to take cheap shots against people. Well, some people have a bigger platform than you do. Some people have a bigger platform than you do over there at the magnificently huge mediaite. If you have a disagreement, that's perfectly fine. But if you're going to say that people are ranting and he he purposely ignored this and he purposely... You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. I'd say we ought to match our wits, but you have to have wits in order to match them, Sarah. You know nothing about this topic. Nothing. And just because Dan Abrams and his fellow clowns give you a platform doesn't make it doesn't make it otherwise. I'm happy to debate this issue with you. Is carbon dioxide a pollutant or not? It's really stupid, quite frankly. And the quotation that you put in your piece that was basically what was it, Rich? That's maybe you weren't here for this. It was it was hilarious. They quote somebody who used to work at ALEC, so that's definitive. The American Legislative Exchange Council, of which I'm a big fan, but so what? Well, of course, methane can be a pollutant. Would you drink water with cow fecal matter? Excuse me? Talking about. And I pointed out to Ms. Rump, well, By that definition, water itself is a pollutant because you can drown in it, so I guess it can kill you. But the fact that something can kill you doesn't make it a pollutant. If a tree falls on your head, doesn't mean the tree is a pollutant. But anyway, I've done my best to educate the... Maybe they're uneducatable, I don't know. Uh, teenagers over there at Mediaite, very clever. They sit around, I have an idea. Wow, wow, wow. Let's take a shot at Tucker. Oh, yes. I have another idea. Wow, let's take a shot at Levin. Oh, yes. I got another one. Wow, let's hit Jesse. Oh, yes. We're so good at this. It's unbelievable. You know, they tried to punish me earlier this year. Remember that, Mr. Producer, at the end of last year? 
was like 50 or 100 of the top media influencers or figures. Mr. Producer says, you're not in this. I'm not? No. I'm not among the top whatever it was put together by media? How can that be? Oh, my God. What do I care? Most of you never heard of media before until I decided to have fun with the operation as a foil. I mean, if you're going to do what Media Matters does, it's kind of superfluous, isn't it? Yes, it, it kind of is. You know, Mr. Producer, I've always said I'm a quasi-professional here. So during the break, I had some of these red cherries, you know. When they're sweet, man, they are really, really good. You know, when fruit is really sweet, like cantaloupe or honeydew or grapes or cherries or whatever it is, it's better than any candy, cake, or cookies. You don't agree, do you, Mr. Producer? You agree with me, right? People ask me, what is your favorite? If I had to pick a favorite, if it's really, really sweet, it's honeydew. And cantaloupe and watermelon. I'm not a real berry guy, but I do like these cherries. And I'm going to eat more of them at the next break, the top of the hour. People say to me, how do you wait to eat dinner till after your show? How do you know I do? My wife's getting on me a little bit about it. You can't eat at 9 o'clock. It's not good for you. You have heart issues. and You can't eat at 9. What am I supposed to do? Maybe I'll have a food podcast, Mr. That's what I'll do. And then I'll just keep tasting things during the program. Wouldn't that be cool? This is the 8 o'clock hour on the Mark Levin Show where we're moving towards food. And I'll talk about food. All right. Is there a caller to whom I should speak, Mr. Producer? I don't have my call screen up. Yeah. The great 870 AM KRLA, Paul in Van Nuys, California. Go. Hello, Mr. Mark Levin. Thanks for all you do. Hello, Mr. Uh, Paul. Hello. Uh, Thank you for all you do. I just wanted to say this CO2 business is being a pollutant is a joke. I work in a greenhouse and we use CO2 to get a 33% higher yield in what it is we grow. So when these people say that, oh, CO2 is a pollutant and we start cutting back, I wonder what these left-wing kook environmentalists will start to say is happening to the rainforest. Exactly. I mean, they're all over the map. I've got quotes, quotes, quotes. I'm not going to bore you all here. A mere half century ago, the media going on and on, citing the greatest experts, including at NASA, including climatologists about global cooling, how the clouds were covering so much of the earth, including the Amazon, and how we were going to have a great freeze, a great freeze. And then like four years later, they dropped the whole thing. Excuse me, we were wrong. I mean, a great heat, a great heat. And the data shows us this. It really does. The stats show us. You get real statisticians in on this who don't have an uh, axe to grind and go, what are you talking about? We can't even go back that far to figure it out. 147 years at best we can go back. 
No, we have to live this. And, you know, I was thinking about this when I went back and looked at my book, Liberty and Tyranny. Remember they used to talk about a carbon tax? Remember they used to talk about all that stuff? Notice they don't even talk about that anymore. They simply want to get rid of fossil fuels. They don't even talk about regulating it much, taxing it much. They talk about... We are going to eliminate, eliminate fossil fuels by some ridiculous year. So they've gone beyond taxing carbon. They've gone beyond regulating. They've gone beyond all. Now we're into total elimination. All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. I'll be right back. Mark You know, the American public is getting pinched right now. Stupid left-wing policies like shutting down the Keystone Pipeline have you paying way more than you should for gasoline, which also raises the cost of your grocery bills, everything. Hard to depend on government, but one thing you can depend on is Pure Talk, because Pure Talk still gives you talk, text, plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. No price increase there. I've told you before, I'm a customer. The 5G coverage, most reliable network in America, U.S. customer service, keeping jobs right here in America, and the CEO is a U.S. veteran. So stop giving your money away to these behemoth corporatists, Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile, and subsidizing their causes. Switch to my guys, Pure Talk. With Pure Talk's no-risk money-back guarantee, you won't regret this. So go to puretalk.com, select a plan, and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month you can literally be switched over to pure talk service in less than 10 minutes so go to puretalk.com and a promo code levin l-e-v-i-n podcast that's levin podcast i want to congratulate joe biden joe biden i think it was about a year ago this time wasn't it mr producer he He took a victory lap on defeating COVID, didn't he? Didn't they turn July 4th into COVID Victory Day or something like that? I think they did. The fireworks went off. And he claimed a victory, whereas Trump couldn't claim a victory, you know, according to Biden. He said, we got all the vaccines out there, which they hadn't. We got all the masks. They had a shortage. We did this. We did that. And uh, I'm sad to say, despite two original vaccine shots and two boosters, uh, the president of the United States has COVID. Uh, Because Ron DeSantis was right all along. Donald Trump was right all along. And the Democrats were wrong all along. In fact, they can't even get enough baby formula to our babies. They can't even get it, the babies that get to live, that is. They can't even get enough baby formula to our babies. But don't worry, they would have handled it much better than Trump ever did. I wonder what Mick Mulvaney has to say about this. Or as he's known in the halls of Congress, Eminem. I wonder what Eminem thinks about this, Mick Mulvaney. You know what, the truth is nobody cares, only CNN. CNN will bring him in as a special commentator after... Uh, Of course, the eighth public hearing where the shoe drops. And I hope you don't watch it. Instead, watch me on Hannity at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 
and the entire Hannity show. He does a very, very good show. <clears throat> Why am I laughing? I'm laughing because how ridiculous this whole thing is. I'm laughing because how outrageous this whole thing is. This committee stuff. Still waiting for facts. They're talking about criminality. It's really quite appalling. By the way, we have a guest next hour. His name is Jason Greenblatt. He's a good friend of mine. And Jason Greenblatt, a longtime advisor to President Trump, worked with and for President Trump, including in the earlier years of the Trump administration. And he had a, a crucial role, a crucial role in, in the peace process in the Middle East as a general matter. He's very concerned about how Biden is unmaking it. And a very loyal man, I meant out of, a very loyal man. Not like that Greenblatt at the uh, ADL who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Well, he actually does. And Jason Greenblatt is talking about the path to these Abraham Accords that have been, this path has been destroyed by Joe Biden. And it's really quite fascinating. He's written about this at some length. Because Donald Trump deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. Now that'll drive the cockroaches at Mediate and the rat finks at Media Matters nuts, but it's true. Barack Obama got a Nobel Peace Prize because he found the uh, men's room in the residence of the White House within 12 hours of showing up there. Hey, give him the Peace Prize! Because he was prospectively to be such a peacemaker. Of course he wasn't. But Donald Trump actually was. And he deserved the Nobel Peace Prize. Nonetheless, we will have Jason on later in the third hour. We'll also have you on. We've got a lot to go over. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492. Or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Here's Joe Biden in a Twitter video today after testing positive for COVID. Cut one, go. Hey folks, guess you heard. This morning I tested positive for COVID. 
but I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild, and uh, and I really appreciate your inquiries and your concerns. But I'm doing well. I'm getting a lot of work done. I'm going to continue to get it done. And uh, and in the meantime, thanks for your concern and keep the faith. It's going to be okay. I didn't lose faith, did you, Mr. Producer? Not only that, I think this was more than 187 minutes after uh, he got the virus, don't you? Now here's Kamala, equally as articulate. Cut to go. I do want to speak about our incredible president, Joe Biden. Um, This morning, she sounds almost giddy. Go ahead. He is in good spirits. He is feeling well. He is doing well. Uh, He is fully vaccinated and twice boosted. And of course he is. And um, as everyone we we, who would encourage who is eligible would do the same. And um, he is working from the White House. This isn't exactly a perfect time to promote the vaccine, is it, Rich? It's so bizarre. Let's continue. Here's a short montage put together by our friends at Town Hall where Biden claimed the vaccines will stop the spread. Cut three, go. Because you can't build a wall high enough to keep out a a, a vaccine. The vaccine can stop the spread of these diseases. And so everybody talks about freedom and not to have a to have a shot or have a test. Well, guess what? And so how about patriotism? How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? What about that? What's the big deal? We're not in a position where we think that any virus, including the Delta virus, which is much more transmissible and more deadly in terms of non-unvaccinated people, the, vi- the, the, the various shots that people are oh, getting yeah, now right. cover that they're, they're you're okay you're not going to you're not going to get covid if you have these vaccinations continue to spread the diseases and so we should think of in the patriotic duty whether you're whether you're working in a supermarket to make sure you have been vaccinated so you're not spreading anything to anyone else or you're not likely to get the virus now when donald trump got the virus it was a very very serious Indeed, life-threatening. We didn't have vaccines. It was all fresh start. We did have some treatments, which he was put on immediately. But the media were excited. Cut for go. At this point, knowing that the president is sick and that the pandemic is uh, affecting personnel in the White House, this may be the most dangerous moment that the U.S. government has ever faced. The president of the United States is suffering from a deadly virus. He has to quarantine. He is not able to fully perform his his duties as commander in chief. It's his own dereliction is um, partly to blame for this. He chose to go out to rallies. He chose to uh, downplay masks. He chose to not social distance uh, and, and call it a hoax. We are now in the midst of a national security crisis that is different than anyone in our history in this country. Uh, We have to be concerned about adversaries, particular 
particularly Russia. We don't know what his health is going to be. It's going to totally upend uh, the end of the election campaign. So every aspect of our national life in terms of stability mm -hmm. is now affected in ways that we could never have envisioned a day ago. The, the president's doctor is saying, well, the president's going to carry out his duties uh, without disruption while recovering. Well, we don't know that for sure yet. We'll have to see, you know, how the president feels, if that is indeed part of the protocol of the government, because, you know, at some point the vice president is supposed to take over if the president can't carry out his duties in any way or if he's incapacitated. Are we finally now going to let the science prevail? Is the president going to say it's time for the scientists to be listened to, including by myself? A big part of the administration, arm of the administration, quite frankly, has been uh, conservative media. And right. as I understand now, um, well, what I'm trying to understand is how they are going to portray this now. Are they going to continue on with the messaging of the president and carrying the water of the president by downplaying this virus? Or will they now turn to scientists? Well, I think the president's technique, often mirrored by his media allies, is that every day is a new day. Every day is a new show. Forget the day before. You know, downplay the virus. Under Trump, three vaccines. Under Trump, massive production of masks, ventilators, respirators, hospital bed availability massively increased. Like he downplayed the virus. Endless press conferences. Like he downplayed the virus. Biden announced victory last July 4th. Actually, two July 4ths ago, the one before the last. Victory with fireworks. Victory. That he had ended it. He single-handedly had ended it. Now he has it. I don't celebrate it. Nobody should get it. I've had it. I had uh, my shots plus the uh, booster. Like a booster seat. The booster. Then I got the virus. Now, maybe the vaccine uh, defended my lungs. A lot of the emergency personnel here, who were our guys, conservatives, they said that it didn't travel to the lungs, that the, these vaccines seemed to do a good job of keeping it out of the lungs. So be it. That's the case, great. But you see, this is the problem when people play politics with this stuff. As Biden has... The, one of the slobs you heard was uh, Bernstein. You can tell he just came off a fresh 24-ounce uh, uh, side of uh, ribs. And some of the other doofuses. Yamichi Alcinder was on MSLSD today, and she had this profound contribution. Cut five, go. Think about the fact that now we have two U.S. presidents in a row that have had that have tested positive right. for COVID. And I think what we're going to see here is likely a, a different sort of approach to it. Let's remember his predecessor um, took off his mask, even though it was sort of in the period where he could have possibly infected other people. He didn't want to talk about getting vaccinated at the White House. Why do they keep talking about Trump? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, how sick they are, how obsessed they are? Much like Sarah Rump with me, I think there's an infatuation. I think Yamichi Alcindor has an infatuation for Donald Trump. 
Otherwise, what explains this? Biden is the president. At least he's in the Oval Office. He's the one that has COVID, and they spend more time talking about Trump. Isn't it amazing? But they're always prepared. Because Jen Psaki was on MSLSD today, and she said so. Cut six, go. I think we've been preparing, or they've been preparing for this probably for several months now, given the percentage of people in the country who have tested positive. Uh, what they they were probably bracing for impact, I bet, before they made this statement this morning, because they knew there would be uh, a lot of reactions, obviously from media, but certainly maybe from the markets, from other leaders. I'm amazed at how little reaction there has been, Mr. Producer. Aren't you? Very little. Very little. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, we have a lot of authors on this program. But now we have a gentleman who I consider a great friend of the family, a great patriot to this country, and a man who really helped to start the entire process, certainly contributed big time to the peace process in the Middle East, which seems to be falling apart in a significant way. Jason Greenblatt, how are you, my friend? Hey, Mark, it's great to be with you. I'm in Jerusalem, Israel. Wow. Well, you have a fantastic book out now, In the Path of Abraham, How Donald Trump Made Peace in the Middle East and How to Stop Joe Biden from Unmaking It. And the book is a very, very thoughtful, intriguing, and compelling book. First of all, you were really, as a special envoy, spending enormous amount of your time trying to first negotiate with the Palestinians, correct? That's correct. How did that go? Well, throughout 2017, we thought we had made some progress. They said some right things, such as we want to negotiate, there are no preconditions, but it became more clear as we approached the end of the year that they really didn't want to negotiate. They simply wanted to reiterate the demands that they've always said, unrealistic demands, demands that Israel could or should never agree to. And then they totally abandoned the peace process when President Trump made his bold, courageous, and historic decision to follow U.S. law and recognize Jerusalem as the capital. They just walked away. From, not, by the way, not just from us, right? They've walked away time and time again. So they walk away time and time again, one administration to the, to the next. And then most administrations, they react by putting up their hands and moving on. But that's not what you and the Trump administration did, correct? That's correct. I want to tell you a story. I don't, I don't remember if I wrote about it in the book. I should have if I did it. About a month before President Trump made the recognition announcement, maybe a couple of weeks before, we also closed the Palestinian mission in Washington. And we did that because President Abbas threatened to bring Israel to the ICC, the International Criminal Court. That triggered a U.S. law to close their mission in Washington. I was sitting with Saab Arakat, the, he's, you know, the late Saab Arakat, has since passed away, and we explained to him that we were going to close that mission, and he looked at me and he said, Jason, if you do that, it's all over. You're going to go home a failure. And I said to him, I'm not going to go home a failure. I'm going to go back and be with my family, but you and your 
Palestinians that you're trying to defend and your kids and your grandkids are the ones who are going to fail. And that took him by surprise. So we were not an administration that was going to be threatened by them. We were going to just keep our heads down, continue working. And ultimately what resulted from their intransigence was the Abraham Accords. Now, how did these Abraham Accords, you moved from, from uh, the, the dead end with the, uh, with the Palestinians, and, you know, we say the Palestinians, really the leadership that just doesn't want a deal. They just have too much at stake for not, in, in not having a deal. Um, how did you go from that to moving on to the Abraham Accords? Was this something that, and I know you explained this, but is this something that you were thinking about, the president was, the administration was, or is it something that just came sort of spontaneously? Sure. Let me just address one thing, because you mentioned the Palestinian leadership. What people don't understand is there's really two Palestinian leaderships. There's the leadership in Ramallah, who are comfortable in their ways getting money from the U.N., from Europe now, again, under Joe Biden, from the United States. And they're not interested in negotiating. They want to just live the way they live. They don't want Palestinians to improve their economy. They just want to keep things as they are. Then there's another leadership, if you could call them a leadership, the terrorist thugs in Gaza who threaten Israel constantly with missiles and rockets and terror, terror tunnels, they're not interested in any peace. They simply want Israel to be wiped off the map. Mm-hmm. To your point about what, or to your question about what, you know, how did we do this, where did it come from? Early on, President Trump and Jared Kushner, who led the team, were told that there's a chance that the Arab countries might be willing, some of them might be willing to normalize with Israel. So we baked into the peace to prosperity plan between Israel and the Palestinians the notion that the Arab countries, at least those that it made sense, because obviously Syria wasn't going to sign it, Lebanon wasn't going to sign it, would also have to normalize with Israel. Why should Israel make all these tough compromises unless they were getting something significant in return? When the Palestinians walked away, we continued to focus on the peace plan with them, but we also put a greater focus on educating the Arab countries about the truth about Israel. And over time, they came around. And um, it was sort of a coordinated team that worked on this, right? The White House, diplomacy overseas, and so forth. It wasn't, uh, and, which is very interesting because you were all relatively new to this. You know, you look at the Biden administration, they bring back all these Obama guys and so forth. But that's not something you and Jared and uh, Friedman and later Pompeo and the others, were really involved in in the past, diplomacy. Correct. We were outsiders, Jared, David Freeman, and I. We were all friends, and we all, look at it from, we all looked at it from a totally fresh perspective. We did have the support later on, who, with great support. Mike Pompeo, Vice President Pence, Nikki Haley, while she was there, so many people, and the later once I left, Avi Berkowitz and others. Um, and we... Weren't, we were going to listen. I spent a lot of time listening to the so-called experts and my colleagues in the State Department, the National Security Council, diplomats around the world. We wanted to understand everybody's arguments. But then we did what we thought made sense. And many of those arguments were just false. And I'll give you one. You always hear this thing that East Jerusalem is the capital for the Palestinians. Well, guess what? There's no source for that. It's just that somebody started saying it one day years ago. And everybody says it as if it's gospel. It's not gospel. They just want it, and therefore everybody thinks, therefore, they should have it. And let's remember, East Jerusalem includes the Temple Mount, the holiest place for Jews. Yes, there's a mosque there. Okay. Nobody's saying the Muslims shouldn't pray there, and, you know, Jordan shouldn't control the mosque. It's holy to Christian Jews and Muslims. 
but it doesn't belong to the Palestinians just because they say it does. It's a very, very important point. And yet, Jason Greenblatt, the media regurgitate this stuff, don't they? Every time they report about something taking place there and so forth, it's, it's like somebody is, is interfering with or taking advantage of the Palestinians on the Temple Mount, when in fact the Jews cannot freely go there and worship there, can they? Correct. The Jews are the only people who can't worship there. Muslims who worship there. Jews are forbidden for worshiping there. One of the most important aspects to me personally in the peace plan that President Trump released was saying that Jews can worship there, too. I'm not a rabbi. Let the rabbis decide if they should or shouldn't worship there. But the law should be that Jews can freely worship there. Everybody should respect each other. You figure out the prayer time so nobody conflicts with each other. But why should Jews be restricted from praying there? And you Jews seem to be restricted from a lot of places that are actually in the Bible. I mean, if it wasn't for uh, the IDF, Jews couldn't even go to Hebron, where Abraham and others are buried, don't you think? You know, it's funny you say that. I went to, I call it Hebron. Hebron is the English way. Hebron, I was here sorry. CPAC this week. That's okay. We took a tour, right? And on the way there, we saw the signs. No Israelis allowed into these areas because it's too dangerous. The Palestinian Authority refuses to allow Jews to, and they say it's because of Israeli law, but it's really because of the danger that Israelis would be in. And we needed guards to go to Hebron. We were able to pray there. And UNESCO, of course, says it's not even a Jewish site, which is outrageous. Yeah. Uh, Jason Greenblatt, can I hold you over the break, please? Absolutely. The book is In the Path of Abraham. You can get it on Amazon.com, ladies and gentlemen. I strongly encourage you to get it. We'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. All over the world, our enemies are on the move. And in our own country, same thing. Things are tough between rising prices, election issues, a $34 trillion debt. But folks, there is good news. If you're smart, you can use these problems to your advantage. By making the right choices right now, you can keep your retirement money safe and even make more money in this climate. That's where Advantage Gold comes in. They're experts in helping Americans protect their savings with gold and silver. It's called diversification. Call Advantage Gold today, 800 900 8, 000. They'll send 
send you a free 2024 gold and silver kit that tells you how to keep your money safe when things are bad. Tell them I sent you, and you may qualify for a special Mark Levin discount worth up to $1,300. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. 800-900-8000. See if you qualify for that special discount worth up to $1,300. That's 800-900-8000. Performance may vary. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should always consult your financial and tax professionals. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Jason Greenblatt, the book is In the Path of Abraham. You can get it on Amazon.com right this minute, and it'll be delivered to you tomorrow. You can go on any of my social sites on Twitter or anywhere else, Mark Levin Show, at fill in the blank, Twitter and so forth. It's right there, too. Jason Greenblatt, you work with Donald Trump for two decades or more in senior positions in the private sector. You worked for him in government. What was it like? Uh, He was an amazing guy, amazing boss, uh, always respectful to me. I think we got into one disagreement in the 20 years I worked for him in the private sector, always willing to take input, ultimately makes his own decision after he takes input, but took input from everybody. Uh, Anything he wanted to know, very curious guy and very decisive. But you watch all this and you hear all this and you pretty much weren't involved in any of it, being the envoy to the Middle East. Is what is being said about him even recognizable to you? It's not. I've never seen uh, that side of him at all. Uh, I've seen uh, somebody who demands excellence and that's appropriate for somebody who ran the kind of company it did and ultimately became the president of the United States. There's nothing wrong with being demanding, but the person that I knew and worked for and respected and always respected me and my family is very different than the media portrayed him throughout his time at the White House. It's so true. And I've, you know, I, my family have gotten to know him very, very well. He's, he is funny. He is engaging. I mean, I've never worked for him, but still, uh, he's a gentleman and he can be tough, but he was never like this crazed maniac they're trying to create. Uh, it, it just is really quite appalling to me. Now, your book also talks about the Biden administration and how to stop them from unmaking all the progress that was made under the administration you served. What is, what is Biden doing or not doing? Well, let's start with probably the biggest problem to the Middle East, which is the Iran threat. You, you know, he came to Israel, came to Saudi Arabia this week, and he said that, you know, they were, he will never let Iran get a nuclear weapon, but many people have said that. And there's no substance to that. In fact, Yair Lapid, the current prime minister of Israel and President Biden disagreed at the press conference where President Biden said his path to getting Iran nuclear free is diplomacy. And Yair Lapid was clear that that's not going to work. So... President Biden thinks diplomacy could change the Iranian regime. I think he's very, very wrong. And worse is that we're not even negotiating with Iran. We're negotiating through Europeans. Europeans have a totally different approach to the United States. All they want to do is hide their heads in the sand, make money off of Iran. They could care less about Israel or our Gulf allies. I don't understand why we aren't negotiating with our friends and allies, Israel, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and others. Those are the only people who should be at the table negotiating a deal that makes sense, that protects Israel and the region, and that protects America. 
I read more and more information from reliable sources, uh, Jason Greenblatt, that Iran is not on the precipice. It's there. It's just a matter of putting together the uh, launching technology with the nuclear technology. And you hear more and more from Israel. We may have to address this on our own because we don't think the United States has our backs. This could get very ugly in the United States. If it doesn't put its foot down or draw a red line, I just think our policies sort of provoke and encourage this sort of thing. Right. We appear very, very weak. If you go back during the Trump administration's time, Vice President Pence hosted a conference in Warsaw to try to address the, uh, the Iran issue. We had Israel there. We had Arab countries there. He was encouraging everybody to follow the sanctions that President Trump wanted to impose. He had already imposed many. And you know what was happening? The Europeans are basically trying to figure out a way around the sanctions. So people say it's President Trump's fault because he pulled out of the Iran deal. Nobody gave it a chance. Everybody tried to evade what President Trump was trying to do. And now look where we are. We have Iran helping Russia with drones. Russia's attacking Ukraine. Now let's see if the Europeans are smart enough to understand that Iran even threatens them, really. I don't think they anticipated that. But Iran has come home to roost in Europe. What do you make of Turkey? What a bizarre leader this Aragon is. Of course, he's a fascist, but still, what, what a bizarre leader. Whose side is he on? Really hard to tell. It's a good point. We should be watching it closely. This meeting between uh, Russia, Turkey, and Iran is very, very concerning. It should be concerning to the region. I'm sure it is. And it absolutely should be concerning to us. And NATO, by the way. Turkey is a NATO uh, participant. So it, it, we should be watching that trouble spot very, very closely right now. Well, let me say this. You, uh, you've been fantastic in, in uh, what you did with the Trump administration. Um, and uh, the audience can hear the way you handle yourself, the way you speak, um, the way you're temperate, uh, and so forth. And uh, I think Donald Trump was right to have you as a senior person both in the private sector and when he became president of the United States and it, what is it it's like uh, 3.40 in the morning there in Israel isn't it well, it's worth it to talk to you sir <laughs> you're very kind the book is In the Path of Abraham How Donald Trump Made Peace in the Middle East and How to Stop Joe Biden from Unmaking It and folks this is a one of a kind book it's a beautiful book the cover's beautiful, too. I think you're really, really going to appreciate this book. Um, Jason Greenblatt is not one of these guys that likes to promote himself. Other people have to talk about him and explain all the important roles he's had and the important things that he's done. You're very soft-spoken, uh, and that, that's all a good thing because, you know, most people aren't, uh, me included, by the way. So the, uh, the book is an outstanding book. Folks, I encourage you to get it. And uh, Jason, thanks for your time, sir. Thanks for hosting me. It was a pleasure to speak to you. Always a pleasure. You take care. What a great gentleman. And a great diplomat, by the way. And you can see why President Trump uh, had him as a close advisor and confidant. He didn't get into politics. He was into law and policy and that sort of thing. Uh, but his role in the Middle East along with uh, Jared Kushner, along with uh, David Friedman. And, of course, my absolutely important role, just kidding, I had no role. 
Okay. Do we have a good caller out there, Mr. Producer? I've been doing a lot of talking. To whom shall I speak? WRNN Rita, <coughs> excuse me, cholera, yeah, in uh, South Carolina. Pleasure. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine. How are you? What a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. It's actually asthma. I'm having a little problem with my asthma, but uh, I pretend it's cholera. It's, you know, whatever it is. Anyway, go right ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I wanted to comment on this whole January 6th sham committee that's going on right now. Um, there's been talk, you know, Garland is going to go ahead and prosecute President Trump. I say go for it because all the stuff that they're not bringing out right now, President Trump gets to do if he's ever prosecuted for it. Well, it depends on the judge because Steve Bannon couldn't even put up much of a defense because the judge in that case uh, basically stripped him of all his defenses and left him with basically one. We'll see what happens. He's got a fantastic lawyer in this, uh, in uh, in uh, Mr. Schoen, but we'll see what happens. And uh, also, a lot of things will not come out in a criminal trial. They come out in these phony hearings because there are very few rules, uh, where there are all kinds of rules in a courtroom. So, and plus, I don't want to see the president go through this or the country go through this. Is all a rogue, phony operation. Five years of this crap, that's enough, don't you think? I I agree. I think this whole administration is a phony administration, but that's a whole other topic. Oh, you're not allowed to say that. You will soon be yeah. tracked down, and the uh, SWAT team will be knocking on your door. All right, thank you for your call, my friend. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Don't forget, folks, 9.30 p.m. Eastern in about 40 minutes. I will be on Hannity on Fox. Sunday, we have a fantastic show as well. 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Central. Uh, God knows what time in other places. Uh, Just a terrific show. My first guest will be Ben Dominich, who I'm a big fan of. And my second guest, retired British Colonel. Richard Kemp, you've seen him before. He's a very powerful voice. And we will talk about Iran. We will talk about China, Russia, and the rest, but particularly Iran, because uh, Iran is right at the precipice here of uh, of changing the complete setup in much of the world with the support of Russia and China now. And I want to hear from uh, Kemp. He's brilliant. Envirostatists, this is what I've called these people, like uh, Sarah Rump. They've relied heavily on litigation to achieve their ends. Uh, To some environmentalists, litigation is the most important thing they've uh, done in the 1970s because most major federal environmental laws contain so-called citizen supervisions, which are actually limited to empowering environmental groups to bring lawsuits in the name of the public. 
The big case was in 2007. It's a case called Massachusetts versus EPA. The Supreme Court delivered what I call the Enviro status, one of the biggest victories over the objections of the executive branch and without support from any legislative history. A five to four majority of the court, led by Associate Justice John Paul Stevens, ruled that the Clean Air Act covered carbon dioxide and other greenhouse emissions from automobiles. And with the, with the, while the court did not direct the EPA to regulate the emissions, it left the agency with no alternative. So five justices, trained not as scientists but lawyers, determined that carbon dioxide is a pollutant, just like Sarah Rump, which the government must regulate. And just like that, the EnviroState's position is now the law. Carbon dioxide is now considered a pollutant. It's not a pollutant. I don't know. Do people need to go back to third grade? Just because you have a belief or a desire or a want doesn't make it true. All right, Mr. Producer, who else shall I speak to? Don, our friend Donna Frederick, Maryland, the great WMAL. Go. Hi, Mark. I just want to say your team, Rich and the gang, they do such a great job, and I love the music while I wait. Uh, You know, we've got this one-sided kangaroo court propaganda machine, compliments of the DNC. And one of the things that mystifies me about this is we just saw like a poll like three days ago where they're getting no viewership. They're not getting what they want. People are turning their backs on them. So, you know, I mean, uh, for obvious reasons, they're trying to line their pockets, which is always precedent when it comes to them. So my question to you is, you know, what do you think is I'm just trying to understand the media perspective. And since you're pretty much in that realm, I wonder if you've got some great. Well, I can't speak for-, for all the corrupt media. I can only speak for myself. And that's this. It has a wearing down effect. You will hear some conservatives and Republicans say, look, I love Trump. I voted for Trump. I voted for him twice. I voted for him in the 2016 primary. But there's too much baggage now. You've heard that, Donna. And so that's what they're trying to do, and that's why I push against that narrative, because they'll do that to any Republican nominee. That's number one. Number two, I've talked about the insurrection clause. They want to make it impossible for him to run for president. And so we don't know how that exactly works, but they want to put out a report. If they can't get him indicted, they feel they can, given the, the corrupt political nature of the U.S. attorney in Washington and certainly the attorney general in Washington, But they want to use the insurrection clause as an umbrella opportunity to try and say that we, this committee, and they'll vote the Democrats in the House, which is why they want to get all this done before the the midterms, that the House of Representatives concludes that Donald Trump did in fact uh, lead an insurrection, and he's not eligible to run for president. That's what they want to do. That's the bottom line. It's amazing to me. And the real insurrection happened on November 3rd of 2020. And the more we work... Actually, the real insurrection is going on day after day after day with executive orders, with bureaucratic regulations, uh, with things that are going to be the open borders, the violations of our laws. The insurrection by the left is an everyday occurrence. Um, And that's the truth. Donna... Thank you, my friend. Appreciate your call. We only have a minute left. Another caller, Mr. Producer? 
870, the great KRLA. Did you say Lauren or Lawrence? Lawrence? Lawrence. Lawrence Greenblatt. Lawrence Green- Greenblatt. I'm sorry, buddy. You're at Greenblatt, too. A lot of Greenblatts today. We. This is the Greenblatt show with Mark Levin. Oh, here comes the music. Let's get Lawrence Greenblatt's phone number, boys, and we'll call him next, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our truckers, and, of course, the men and women in Ukraine. God bless you. I'll see you on Hannity in 30 minutes on Fox. 